All right, welcome in everybody here to Sports Talk. Adrian Broaddus getting things started. Steve Kaplowitz on his way over as well. Our telephone number, 880-5763. That's our telephone number to get into the program. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. If you'd like to check in with us and chime in on anything that we'll be discussing today, that's the place to do it. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Or you could do it on our free mobile app powered by United Bank. A lot of stuff to get into on today's show. Coming off a loss for the UTEP men's basketball team. Coming off a victory for the New Mexico State men's basketball team as they defeated Seattle last night. We'll get into those storylines on the show. We'll get into a lot of different things. We've got track talk coming up at 5 o'clock with Steve and uh, also a bunch of other guests here on the show. But want to start things off talking some UTEP hoops. I know today the big storyline will be about KJ Lewis uh, and um, you know him getting suspended for the next round following an injection in the fourth quarter of Chapin's 70-52 win over Horizon. Uh, KJ Lewis put out a statement on Twitter that we'll read on the show as well. And we'll talk about the other uh, by-district games like Parkland beating Burgess in a close one and the other 4A and 3A scores. We'll talk about those later on in the program as well. But want to start things off talking a little UTEP hoops. Last night the Miners had a chance to complete a three-game win streak on the road against the league leader in the Conference USA East Division in Middle Tennessee. And the Blue Raiders were simply too much for the Miners last night on their home court. They dominated UTEP UTEP in a 77-59 win. Uh, it was balanced scoring by the Blue Raiders yesterday, and the Miners will now have an opportunity to come home and kind of retool ahead of uh, a three-game home stretch. They completed the road stretch of the whole regular season. It's kind of crazy to think that the Miners are almost here at the finish line for this uh, 2021-22 season, and now they only have three home games left. They've got UAB this Saturday, one of the best teams in Conference USA. Then they have Rice next week. Hey, a tough a tough in-state opponent that the Miners will have to face next week at home. Uh, and then they close out the year next Saturday at home against North Texas. So following this road swing, I think we learned a lot from the Miners. We, we learned that they're resilient and they continue to be on the road. We learned that they could play against some of the best in the league, like their victory on Thursday against Louisiana Tech. So Miners proved uh, a lot in this uh, three-game road stretch. They won two of three games beating both the Bulldogs and Southern Miss, uh, which they did on Saturday, just couldn't have, they just didn't have enough in the tank to get it done last night uh, in Middle Tennessee. And that game against Murfreesboro, uh, in Murfreesboro, it was tough because the Miners had the lead for the first six minutes, and then Middle Tennessee just stormed through on a, a big run in the first half. Miners kept trying to catch up here and there and simply couldn't get it done. But, uh, but it, it, this road swing, what it really told me is UTEP well, first at the end, they, they just lost gas simply by the end. I, I felt like last night, the biggest way you could describe it is Middle Tennessee had a lot of depth to them. They had 26 points off the bench. It really They really flexed their depth in this game against the Miners, and the Miners just didn't get a lot of production out of their bench. But still, the Miners had a positive road stretch that could really uh, propel them forward to close out the rest of the season. I mean, having the confidence, knowing that you can beat one of the league leaders in Louisiana Tech, and then also doing it on the road against Southern Miss uh, in in the span of two uh, three days, I should say, on Thursday Saturday. Uh, that's pretty impressive for this basketball team. The the way that they had this quick turnaround, the way that they were able to win on the road, and the fact that this team has a road winning record for the first time since the 2014 season. 
I mean that that speaks volumes for this group and for first year head coach Joe Golding. I wrote on the on our website today on 600 ESPN El Paso how this season has been a success for this basketball team both on and off the court. Now people could come my way and say, hey, well, they, they're not in contention for the Conference USA Championship just yet. And I agree. I mean, that the, they are not atop the league leaders. They are not in that Tier 1 of Conference USA just yet. But they are building the model in order to try to get there eventually. Over the weekend, we heard uh, some really uh, revealing quotes from the likes of Sule Boom, the likes of head coach Joe Golding, even former UTEP coach Tim Floyd being very complimentary of the bunch, not just the X's and O's that we know on the floor, but off the court, the the team chemistry that this team has developed, the the fact that this team has really turned and and become uh, one in a sense. They've really gelled through this past stretch of the season, and uh, that has been the biggest uh, compliment that this team has really been talking about itself on. They they've just complimented themselves on how they've been able to mesh together and build on the team chemistry. Now this all leads into this week, where the miners could get back Keon. Kennedy within these last two weeks of the regular season. They, uh, their, their standout guard from Xavier, this, the transfer, he has not played the last 15 games of Conference USA due to a broken foot. Uh, there is optimism that he could be rejoining the team as early as this week, maybe next week, uh, if he's indeed healthy and able to return on the court. Now, I know that uh, Keontae Kennedy did not make the trip this past weekend, as we all knew, uh, against uh, the three teams that the Miners face, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss, and uh, and Middle Tennessee, but uh, Keontae Kennedy, the reason he didn't take the trip was he was staying at home in El Paso to rehab that broken foot, so you, you kind of look, light at the end of the tunnel, can the Miners get Keontae Kennedy back? How healthy will he be? How, how much of a contributing factor will he be if he does indeed return? I think those are some interesting questions to ask as the Miners enter the last stretch of this season. We're just getting started here today on Sports Talk. Our telephone number if you'd like to get and uh, weigh in on any of the topics that we're going to be discussing today 880-5763 that's our telephone number as we get going we're also at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter where you could check in and uh, tweet us any of your thoughts on the show uh, we're, uh, you could also check out our website 600 ESPN El Paso.com and we've got all that great local content up on our website Steve uh, we were just kind of getting things started talking some UTEP hoops following their road swing and the Miners now have UAB on Saturday. Let's see what they can do. I mean, I'm interested now. Like, um, first off, thanks for taking care of the first uh, eight or seven or eight minutes of the show. I appreciate that. Um, I'll say this. Look, UTEP, we said it yesterday before the game started, is that we didn't expect the Miners to win. Three games in five days against a team that hasn't lost at home, that is a tough tough task to ask all right it is it's hard and you know what give them credit two out of three out of this road trip you say before the season before the trip starts you take two out of three after losing to marshall you'll take that any day of the week so that was big for them and they're still fifth right now in conference usa and by the way terrific write up on the website about joe golding being a success that is a great read and if you have not checked that out folks you have to do that today at 600 espnelpaso.com and of the final three games two of them are going to be really really big challenges for them uab and north texas those are huge games for utep so the fact is hey Happy that they won two out of three, but now 
you know, if they could somehow close with three in a row against these teams, they would have unbelievable momentum heading into the conference tournament. Yeah, because it's one thing to beat Louisiana Tech, who's near the top of Conference USA, and it's another thing to go out and beat the best of the best in this league. Either UAB or North Texas, I feel like it's kind of 1A, 1B when you compare the two right there. Uh, and I'm with you on that, Steve. Now, the crazy thing is, even though we consider this past road swing a success for the Miners. There were some UTEP fans last night who were saying that they were disappointed in their effort. Sure, they, they were, lost. They were, they were mad at the Miners, and they also said that this team is light years away for competing for a conference title, which I think that's a no. big stretch right there, Steve. I, I think that's a big-time overreaction, and I know that Miner fans want to sway both ways after games like this, but th- these are the games right here. These next three games, UAB, Rice, and North Texas, that those are the games I'm looking at. I wouldn't say light years. Listen, if they sweep these three games and beat UAB in North Texas, along with Rice, they're a lot closer than you realize. Understand, okay, again, you look at this team this season, and then you look at what they've done so far, and to be honest, it is a success. You can't, yeah, I don't, I don't care what people are going to say. Uh, they, they don't have uh, Bryson Williams, which this team had last season, okay? Last season, they had Bryson. They don't have Bryson right now. Last season's team went 12 and 12. Think about that for a second. 500 with the same nucleus that's been carrying them this season and Bryson Williams. And the fact is, this team, this incarnation of UTEP, is 16 and 11, and they've been doing it without Keontae Kennedy for the last month and a half. That's huge. I mean, it really is. So I don't know how people could be, again, You want to be fair. It's Joe Golding's first year here. I think he's done a terrific job. He's coached the heck out of this team. He's gotten more out of them than they had before. Think about it, folks. 500 basketball team with Bryson. They won one road game last year. One. This team's won five road games this season. Five. You know what they'd be like with Bryson Williams this year? They'd be the best team in Conference USA. Hands down, wouldn't even be close. But you know what? Bryson did the right thing. He went to Texas Tech. He's one of the best players on that team. They're probably going to have be a possible Final Four team, and he's getting national exposure. So you know what? Worked for him. Worked for him. No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt. And I feel like this team, yesterday's game is kind of, uh, I feel like it bodied the whole season. Like they go up against a team who really flexes their bench and their depth and Middle Tennessee gets 26 off the bench. UTEP doesn't have the bench production like other teams have in this league. And I think that's the only thing separating UTEP for taking that next step and and being a conference contender. Light years away is a uh, misrepresentation of this group. But I'll say this, okay? You're not going to have the enemy. Boom, uh, Verhoeven, and um, and Kennedy forever. They got to recruit. That's the key. We know we can coach. We all know we can coach. Now he's got to go get players because if UTEP is going to take the next step, they have to bring in some difference makers that he can coach up and take to the top of this conference. That's going to be important, especially when I just watched what the Aggies did to Seattle yesterday. They went into Grand, they went into Grand Canyon and Seattle and beat them both on the road decisively. They beat up Grand Canyon, shut those fans up, and then a couple of days later, they go to Seattle and beat the best team in the league outside of them on the road in front of their environment. 
okay? They're coming in a year. And guess what? That is going to be the team to beat. One of the teams to beat in Conference USA will be the Aggies. So to me, the Battle of I-10 is going to take on a whole new meaning in a year, which is all the more reason why recruiting is going to be paramount for uh, Joe Golding and the Miners. Yeah, and I feel like the brand of UTEP basketball has actually improved since uh, the last time we were having this conversation of uh, what's UTEP's image like across college basketball. I feel like that uh, image has definitely improved since we talked back in the summer. I mean, uh, the the uh, Joe Golding and the staff talked about how they have to build the brand up. I mean, maybe alluding to the fact that the brand wasn't as high just when you're talking about recruiting. So this year... After having some success, maybe that would give uh, UTEP and this staff some leverage going into recruits' homes and getting them here to El Paso. It's going to be huge. Let me take a phone call before we go to break. we got a lot to talk about in the first hour, too. Just wait. We're just getting started. Gator Richard's going to lead us off on the show. Gator Richard, what's happening? Hey, how you doing? Go Gators. What's going on, man? Hey, I want to talk uh, Olympics and that uh, NFL lawsuit real quick. Okay, let's start with the Olympics. You watching any of it? Yeah, I watched a little bit. Um kind of disappointed in the whole Russian cheating thing. Yep. But uh, I think the real story is the, uh, you know, 200,000 prophylactics that were handed out. <laughs> All I know is this. I'm disappointed in the scandal, too. But if you know the IOC, scandal uh, seems to follow the Olympics uh, every every single time around. Well, I mean, when, when you try to watch it, even on the Olympic channel, I mean, they... It, the coverage is kind of spotty at best. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't you can't just say send me an alert, you know, when when hockey's on, right? Or, or any of the different sports. I mean, you would think in in 2022 they would have that kind of technology already in play. Well, maybe they could uh, figure out a way to. Well, first, if you watch Peacock, it wasn't bad. I thought Pe- that's how I watched it. Peacock did a pretty good job with it. If you subscribe to that, which you might not, I don't know. No, I mean, I considered it, but not, not just for Olympics. The okay. other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, okay, that, that uh, former head coach that filed the NFL lawsuit, now he's working for Pittsburgh. Yeah, you're talking about Brian Flores. Correct. Now, it'd be interesting to find out if, if because he's employed with the NFL that, he, that he's forced to use arbitration instead of letting this thing go full court press in the public, you know, domain. I I think that's that's the whole reason that somebody in the NFL could have been anybody. I think they have like a motive of of hiring this guy on. That way, you know, the the cheating scandal, you know, get paid to lose thing doesn't come to light and all these class action lawsuits that were sure to follow uh had this thing gone gone, you know, to court, and and then you know the NFL had to defend itself with with uh, public dis, uh, dis say it depositions. Anyhow, I, I just think that you know I've been saying it for years. You guys think I'm some kind of conspiracy nut. Well, you are, but it, but we love you for it. I think that's part of your charm and what makes you fun. Well, beyond that, okay. I mean, I told you before, it didn't take a whole lot, a whole lot of people involved to, to go into the cheating thing. And and if this coach is saying, hey, they they're offering me a hundred grand to lose, that way they can get a better draft pick. Who's to say that, you know, that wasn't going on with with other scenarios of of losing, getting paid, 
or, you know, win, but don't beat the spread. See what I mean? And, and, and the multipliers go up from there. Man, I need to give you a whole show one of these days because you would be fascinating for three hours. We could talk forever. But listen, I got to run. I got to get to a break. So, Richard, appreciate the call, all right? We'll talk all soon. Right. 18 pass. Charlie's back. He's got traffic. We got a busy one today. Coming right back at it with more here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Continue. 22 past the hour right now. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz here on Sports Talk. Saw this tweet come in from Ice. That's right. Ice Kubios tweets the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. Love Coach Golding. From day one, when he and his wife introduced themselves and spoke to me at Minor Palooza, I've seen the difference. The attitude is totally different, and even a game versus a first-place team feels like UTEP has a chance. We're blessed to have him here. I agree. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. So, again, we talked about UTEP to start the show. We'd love to get your thoughts. 880-5763, our telephone number uh, here on the program. Uh, track Talk with Eric Alwyn coming up at the top of our 5 o'clock hour. Um, we'll also have uh, Greg Sestero and Chris Hanna at 6 to talk about El Paso Media Fest coming. You know Chris Hanna from Now or Never, the Tony Romo story. We've had Chris on the show numerous times, and he's got a great uh, festival that he produces. He'll join us in our 6 o'clock hour. You have a movie review today? Or are we, yes. Uh, we, what are you reviewing today? Taxi Driver. Yes. Yes. Wow, you're going for the best. I, I, uh, you know what, Steve? I'm going to be honest with you. No, save it. Save it. Okay, okay. Save it. All right, I'll save it. All right, thank you. Save it. Appreciate that. Last night, Chapin defeated Horizon in boys' high school basketball by district playoff action however near the end of the game kj lewis was called for an offensive charge and fouled out of the game as he fouls out following the call he gets teed up for a second time happened earlier in the game and gets ejected from the game now we're hearing that Chapin will have to play their area game without KJ. And I want to talk about this here on the show right now because I have a lot of thoughts. I'm writing about it for the website. Haven't finished it yet. I'll have that done hopefully tonight, but I have a lot of thoughts on this story. Okay? Lots. Number one, you know, KJ Lewis is the best high school prospect to come out of El Paso in basketball since Cliff Tucker the late, great Cliff Tucker, who went to Maryland on a basketball scholarship. All right? And Tristan Newton was an unbelievable player, too. But KJ really burst on the scene a few years ago when he was a top 25 overall prospect for his class. 22nd, I believe, in that top 25. And if you watch KJ play basketball, it's like watching a man among boys. Because... His skill set is not just high major D1, but there's, it's very likely he goes NBA down the road. It really is. And if you look at him physically, he's built differently than just about everybody else in town. We've got 6'4 guys that could play basketball around here, but look at him from a uh, just how you know his shoulders, he's broad. He's just, I mean, given unbelievable physical gifts. You know, we're talking pro ball physical gifts in high school. High school kids aren't built like this. All right, has haven't been, and as a result, 
You know, he's played these last couple years here, and the truth is, there's really nobody on his level or even close to it in El Paso. So when he plays, you know, he he drives hard to the basket. He doesn't shy away from contact. He goes for it. And he gets he gets hit around a lot because nobody here really has the ability to stay with him when they play and when they play games. Now, let's add on top of that Rodney Lewis's style, which is press and give you full court pressure you know, throughout most of the game. So it's not just like KJ's playing you, but now you got Rodney Lewis on top of that. They're going, they're guarding you, and they're picking you up full court, all right? So it's intense. And Chapin is a team that is not just built for El Paso, but they're built to go try to win a state title. So factor all that in. And then what happened last night in Horizon? Now I'm going to be the first to tell you, folks, that... I haven't had a chance to catch KJ's games live like I'd like to. I haven't. I come home after working 11-hour days and usually spend it with the family. I don't go out and watch high school basketball games at night. Not yet. When my 9-year-old's in junior high and high school, I probably will be watching a lot of Franklin games and going around the area and watching some of those for him. But for now, no. I try to spend what little time I have at night with the family. Okay? So I'm not going to tell you that I watch uh, KJ Lewis's games like Colin Deaver and um, Nate Ryan and, and Adrian Broadus. I haven't had a chance to see that. But I've talked to a lot of people today, a lot of people. And the fact is, everybody I talked to all said the same thing. We're lucky to have KJ playing basketball here in El Paso this season. He could have gone anywhere to play, anywhere. He likes the city. He likes this is home for him. He stayed here, okay, because he moved here a couple of years ago, and he really likes El Paso. His mom lives here, um, works here. So it's it's really lucky for us to have him. But on the flip side, he's been he's getting beat up around here playing ball. Really has. Suffered a concussion earlier because on a dunk he was pushed and then hit the wall and landed funny, so he had a concussion. He's had other injuries that he's had to deal with. And the fact is, okay, when he goes up for shots and for layups, some people don't can't come up to him and, and body him. So unfortunately, they'll collide with him um, around his hips, his chest, legs. And as a result, he's taking a lot of hard falls, a lot of hard falls, and getting beaten up in the process, which then begs me to go back to last night's game, okay? Again, we don't know what he said to the official. To get tossed. I've heard different versions of it. I do not know what truthfully happened. All we know are the facts. He got his fifth foul on a drive that he initiated contact and clearly fouled the kid uh, as he was driving. Nobody doubts, and if you haven't seen the video, Collins got it up. That is as obvious of an offensive foul as you're ever going to see. However, the kid's never been tossed from a game in his life. Gets teed up a second time last night, thrown out, along with his mom, and I don't know who else. Sister, yeah. Sister, right? Mom and sister get tossed. He's tossed. And now, Chapin, the you know, the best chance to go deep in the, in the tournament in a while, is going to have to play area without him. And there's a big problem with that. And I have a problem with that. And the more I think about it, Adrian, I know we're hitting the bottom of the hour in a second, the more I'm starting to believe that, you know what, it'd, be, it'd behoove KJ and the situation 
to probably spend his senior year out of El Paso and go play someplace else. Because the truth is, if you're not on his level here, and it makes it really tough, and this happens in the playoffs, I don't know how you run a kid like this, but they did. And now, unfortunately for him and, and Chapin, they're going to have to play their area game where they could, you know, not going to be easy for them. Without them, that's a really, really tough spot. And it's it's a bad look for the city. It's a bad look for everybody around. And uh, it's just, it never should happen. It's completely unnecessary when you talk about it. Yeah, the fact that we're asking the question, did K.J. Lewis play his final game in the city of El Paso last night? Uh, that is that is just, uh, that, that's not what we wanted to do in this situation at all. You'd at least want him to have the opportunity to play in the Texas State playoffs. Uh, you know, the, the rules are there in place. So, so if somebody gets ejected, they're not able to play the next game. So, it, you know, some people came at me with, oh, well, can they appeal? No, this these or of these rules are in place for a reason. Now, I just want to real quick compare it to Tavoris Jones because he came in uh, for on the football level at high school uh, at, regarded as one of the highest prospects that we've seen here in a long time. Since and, probably Aaron Jones. Right, exactly. Okay. And, and maybe since Ed Stansberry Fair and enough. the likes of those, uh, those players. That's and true. so Tavoris Jones, when he steps on the field, everybody's looking at him thinking, that guy got an offer from Texas, Alabama, and they want to go up against him in a big way. In basketball, it's so much easier to really key on that one big player. And when you watch a KJ Lewis game in person, the entire audience, the entire every, the entire bench, all the players, they're all looking at KJ Lewis. Everybody's focused on him. He's officiated differently than everybody else. No, no he doesn't get a lot of calls that come his way. Exactly he, the opposite. They he, treat him like the bigs in El Paso, meaning that because he's physically bigger and 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 uh, just stronger than everybody else, he a lot of the times will get whistled. For things that other kids don't even have to worry about when they're playing ball. Yes, and that is that sh- that is a big shame right there. There, the officiating uh, staff. If there is a better player like this, you have to officiate him differently. I get it. You're you're going to key on him maybe a little bit more, but you have to call it fair both ways because this guy is a once in a generation type of talent, and you have to keep players like this in the city of El Paso, or this is going to become a soccer thing where the best players yes. in basketball are going to leave for the Metroplex. At like we're seeing for soccer, the best players here are poached right away once they turn 14 15 or any place not just the metroplex but anywhere they want to go where they sure. feel like they can get uh they can get you know a, a fair shake uh than they do here it's and it's a shame because you know what who's going to lose el paso is going to be the one to lose and it shouldn't be like this it really shouldn't be like this so we'll talk about it with you here on the show today bottom of the hour as we continue 32 past 880-5763 that's our telephone number but first let's go to adrian and get this bottom of the hour sports center update Thank you very much. Now let's get back to the KJ situation here for a second, okay? Because again, um, you know, let's talk about the the officiating part. That's another problem. All right, you shouldn't have to officiate players differently because of their skill level. You really should. It's not right. And ultimately, um, you know, if he's if he's that much better than everybody else, hey, you know what? It, it, it happens sometimes. You have that talent, that generational type of talent, and you know they're going places. And at the flip side, when you're going up against him, you can't try to undercut him. You can't try to take him out. My God. You know, it's not it's nothing about intent to injure. Let the kid play. Let him play his game. If you can't guard him, you can't guard him. It's as simple as that. And I just, there's so many things wrong here. And, and again, I just, I can't look at what happened last night and say this is good for – it's a terrible look for high school basketball in El Paso. 
you got a D1 kid that's getting high major offers from everywhere, and he can't play an area game because of a situation last night where he was teed up twice? Are you kidding? I mean, it's just, it's a horrible look. Very disappointing, Steve. Very disappointed and just, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody today who works very closely with KJ and who had previously trained KJ, and he simply said, you know, the, there's a, an officiating problem that is not so easily resolved. They, they need to hire younger officials they here do. in the city because, uh, and unfortunately, the officials who are currently playing or who are currently going on right now, they're a little bit older and they're just not as sharp as some of the other guys. And that, that, was, his, that was coming from his mouth, not me. I, I have no relations with any of these high school basketball refs whenever I go to high school basketball games I get frustrated watching all the fouls that are called left and right and hey I mean I'm just somebody in the in the crowd but I, I think I know a thing or two about this game yeah um, you do absolutely and uh, again this is it, it shouldn't be happening so let's take some calls I got two lines available 880-5763 that is our telephone number Robert is going to be first up here uh, as we continue on the show Robert uh, thanks for getting in I know you want to weigh in on the KJ's talk yeah, I, I I'm not familiar with every all the aspects of it, but I got a little hotter in the collar thinking about it because there's really two angles that we have to look at here. Uh, number one is the reality of it is most of the referees here in El Paso, when you have an extraordinary talent, uh, they'll kind of be envious to say the least, and then they'll see him playing against talent that is not that great and try to even the playing field, and that's not what yep. your job you as an official is. Exactly. You can't do that. Great you point. absolutely yeah. cannot. It should be the opposite. You can't do yeah. that. Yeah, and the other thing that's really important to point out here is that he and his mother should know better. The stakes are too high. And if you're playing to go to a regional round, you can't let yourself lose your cool. Responsibility has to go both ways. His mother should definitely know better, based on what I've heard, and he should know better, especially when you're going into, I think you said it was the region or the area around. Area the around. Area's you next. But, here, but, but Yeah, but here's the lose thing. Your cool. Robert, here's the thing, though. You said something really interesting. You said that officials try to level the playing field, okay? So mm-hmm. we don't know, number one, what was said, what was done. We have, I have seen the video. There's no video that's following KG around after the foul that led to the ejection. So we don't know if it was said. We don't know what was said. We don't know what context it was. KJ did apologize for his actions on Twitter earlier today. There's, I've heard three or four different versions of the story, so therefore I don't know what's correct. But the fact remains that I know you were talking about keeping your cool, but the kid's never been thrown out of a game in his entire life, and then yesterday gets tossed for the first time. You wonder, did he even do anything to warrant getting tossed? The one more question that I had, what was the score in the game? It was a 20. Oh. That's another issue. It was a 20-point game in the fourth quarter, so why is he even in the game in the first place? That's the point I was about to make, because at that yeah. point, if you're going into the air round, you have a 20-point lead. Sure. After he gets his first technical as a coach, you pull that kid out of the game. Well, no, he got the technical in the first half. So, oh, so but he it, had one tech. Yes. And what is he doing in the game yes. with a 20 point lead at yep. that point? Yep. That's particularly, a, particularly if the refs are not calling the game right. As a coach, at this point of the season, you should know your player. If you see him getting really hot, getting acting out of character for him, as a coach, you have to make that decision. A 20 point game, 
you've got to pull the kid out of the game before it even gets to that point. So apparently, as he was getting tossed yesterday, he was going over to the opposite bench to shake hands with the assistant coach when they ran him. And that's even stranger. So he was actually going over after he fouled out to, uh, to, to you know, ultimately shake hands with the other team's assistant coach. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they announced that he was teed up. So we don't really know for sure. Okay. Again, it's a strange issue. And that's why it's hard to judge what he did because nobody definitively knows for sure what prompted the ejection. Indeed. But again, there's plenty of blame to go sure. around. Sure. But we have to remember these are kids. That's the truth. And That's the, the truth. adults, meaning the coach, the referees, and the mother should know better. Because there's no excuse for the mother being – I think you said she was removed from the arena – or something. She along was thrown. I think she, I, I, we were told she was thrown out along with uh, along with his, you know, her daughter or his uh, KJ sister. So you're right. It's a it's a it's just a bad look. It's a bad spot. And poor kid, because you know the one thing you don't want to do. Uh, El Paso t- teams suffer in the area rounds based on officiating, and I'm talk- I'm saying from experience from when I played and so forth. Whenever we go to the area round, it's difficult to get past that round because. The refs don't call the game fairly in our favor, and now we're shooting ourselves in the foot as yep. a city by having our own referees handicap us. Sure, for for the best for again for with a generational talent that comes along once yeah. every so often. So you're right. All right, thanks for letting me in here. You guys have a great afternoon. Appreciate the call. Uh, Forty one passed as we continue here on Sports Talk. Adrian, a reaction from that before we go to break. Just real quick, the extended minutes talk because this is a controversial topic that I've heard a lot of different angles. One of the angles that I've heard is don't discount the fact that these college coaches could be talking to KJ and saying, "Hey, you need to play all these minutes. I don't care if you're blowing out Bowie or, or beating Jefferson on a random Tuesday night. You need to play all the minutes that you can because we want to see full game footage of you. We don't want to just see a first quarter and then you're winning by." 20 and then you're on the bench for the whole game we want to see you for the full game and that could be coming from college coaches great point and uh and and it comes down to and it trickles down to the high school level so that's just the unfortunate part of being here in el paso and and not being uh, heavily recruited you're you're relying on all the game film that you can get you're right that's a great point great great point all right 18 in front of five track talk coming up in 20 minutes with eric alwyn we got a busy show today we'll come back with more in a moment right here after abc7 news on 600 espn el paso uh, David and Christian are going to be happy to hear this from you. A little X minus one getting back in the rotation. All right. Nice. Adrian giving us some local flavor. Thank you for that. Got to get them back on. The boys are appreciated of that, by the way. They do. We'll get some new music. I'll talk to them and see if we can get some new X minus one for you in 2022. How's that? That sounds great. All right. Um, so I was wrong, by the way, during our last call. It was a double technical. Not he didn't get teed up in the first half. KJ was teed up twice, which is weird because apparently it wasn't like there was one technical and then another technical. It was just it was a quick thing. Can officials give you a double technical on one thing you say instead of giving you one T and then a second T? Yeah, it just makes that's even weirder. Yeah, I feel like that makes it worse, right? Like, it does. Like, what did he say to really set him off to that? And and I mean, again, this just goes back to the officiating, the questionable officiating. And I, I think that uh, going back to Robert's call, he bring he brought up a great point that sometimes the refs try to level the playing field at times when the better team is playing an inferior opponent. Well, the thing is this. Okay, number one, 
Apparently, what was said that triggered the double technical happened as KJ was walking to the opponent's bench because when he fouls out, what KJ Lewis does is ever since he's been playing is he goes and shakes the hand of the coaches on the other side. That's his version. That, that's his sportsmanship. He's been doing that forever. So that's what he was doing after he fouled out, went to shake the hands on the opposing bench. Something was said under his breath towards the officials and thus got a double T on the process, which, again, is completely out of character for him and something that has never happened throughout his entire career playing high school ball. Can you imagine a 17-year-old like K.J. Lewis having to go to, on to social media to apologize in this situation? Just shows really his maturity and, and where he is. He he said in the series of tweets that he already reached out to the referee and you know is, is sorry about this whole situation was apologizing and and he's 17 years old he has maturity beyond all measures and uh, I, I just I still can't believe we're talking about this situation for him again no it's a, just the reason we're talking about is it's a bad look for all for everybody right. around and and I'm not just talking about it's not, it's not necessarily a bad look for KJ KJ's fine he'll do whatever he wants but it hurts Chapin hurts the city of El Paso the officials involved everybody around it's just a bad look it's a bad look for high school basketball in this town when the best player that's been around that, that hasn't you know that we you don't get guys like KJ Lewis in this town you don't and the fact that he's not able to play an area because he's been he's been run for the first time in his life because of something that happened after his fifth foul I mean come on Chapin will have to, and Chapin, the best team in the city by far, they'll have to take on either Abilene Wiley or Amarillo Tuscosa. So no easy feat whatsoever for the Huskies to have to do this and uh, without their best player in K.J. Lewis. I know they have a way better team this year, and they've got some depth on their group, but that depth will be challenged in a major way on, in the area around. I'm not sure if they get out of it, and if yeah. they don't, it could be one of the biggest what-ifs of this local basketball scene. What if he hadn't gotten te- double teed up, and uh, could they have gone uh, and made a big run in the playoffs. Sal brings up some great points too. He says uh, if teams still want full game footage despite making offers don't you think that compromises their interest in him? That's a good point. It, it does. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's a tough thing right there when you're talking about his extended playing time. If you want to argue why is he in late in the game, I, I'll give you that, but I think there's just more to this. Let's also say this. K.J. Lewis did not get every uh, high major offer because of playing at Chapin High School. He got it because of Peach Jam and all the AAU circuits uh, he's been playing over the course of the last few summers where he's essentially put his skills up with the best players in his class. That's how he's getting the offers. Yeah, he's not getting it for beating Jefferson and Austin on a regular district game. No, they're not looking at those in particular. They're, they're really hyper-focused on his AAU circuit games. That's what got him all the interest that he's garnered up to this point. Ed McDonald wants to know, is K.J. Lewis more mature than Jawan Howard? Of course he is. Jawan Howard opened slap to coach. You better believe it. I thought that slap was pretty nice. You like the, <laughs> you like the open slap, didn't you? I like Jawan Howard. I feel bad. I, not, not I don't feel bad for this whole situation, but uh, yeah, you got to keep you got to keep it cool. crazy. Yeah, you're paid the big bucks. You got to also take ownership for it. Track talk coming up five minutes uh, from now, right after Sports Center at the top of the hour, and then we'll keep things moving. Hour number two of Sports Talk right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. And welcome to another edition of Track Talk. Steve Kaplowitz with you here from our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios, joined by the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. He is Eric Alwyn, and we've got a busy week, including one of the major stakes races of the season to talk about today. 
Eric, good to have you back. And uh, yeah, as I said earlier, you know, when you look at the racing schedule for the season, there are always a couple of dates that you have to mark uh, mark down. And this weekend, the Mind That Bird Derby, obviously one of those great showcase races of the uh, racing season. I think it's our second greatest weekend or second greatest race day of the season. You know, with 55 race days, as compared to maybe 67 or 70, the stakes races come fast and furious, and we're a little more condensed than maybe we ever were before. So each weekend is very important, and this one is super important because it drew well, and the Mind That Bird Derby usually gives you a really a pretty good estimate of what you're going to have in the Derby, not completely. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always win the Summer Derby, but the Mind That Bird Derby is a an indicator of who are, who are going to be your uh, your main competitors. And from what I saw by the draw, it's got good numbers, good quality, and a lot of California flavor to it. And a lot of, you know, important people in media are going to be involved in the race, including one of your contemporaries from, uh, you know, the radio world in Jim Rome. He owns a horse that's in the race. He calls his stable Jungle Racing, by the way. Well, first off, it's about time. It's about time Rome gets a, a horse in El Paso for all the years he's been yeah, doing this. It? So that's right. I like that. He's, he's won a Breeders' Cup before, so nice. He should nice. should come by here. That's exactly. Before we talk about the rest of the horses in the field and kind of get deeper into the Mind That Bird Derby, let's talk about the history of the race itself and how it's evolved to where we have it this weekend, Eric. Well, you know the. The way that we wanted it always to be is that to be at least two local live preps. So there was always a Raleigh Allison uh, Derby, which would be the number one prep that would be in January. The Mind That Bird Derby was not named the Mind That Bird Derby in- initially. It was called something else. The Borderland Derby, I think it was. And that would be the one that would happen in February. But then with the exploits of uh, Mind That uh, Bird in 2009, we were able to change the name of that race to, you know, to give Mind That Bird a, a little more respect here locally. He did so much for us. As a matter of fact, Steve, you could say that Mind That Bird saved the Sunland Derby because right around 2008, 2009, we were having a lot of difficulty getting it graded. And why was that important? Because grading meant that your winner could get in the Kentucky Derby. So Dustin Dix, our director of racing, then and now, mm-hmm. made this interesting bonus situation where if uh, if a horse that uh, kind of, you know, won it and could go on, he would add another 100, another 100,000, I think, to to the race. So that particular Sunland Derby that was won by Kelly Leak, because by that bird didn't even win our Sunland Derby. That's right. Uh, you know, that race was worth $900,000. And then additionally... Mind that bird won the Kentucky Derby because he had points from Canada, not from points from our race, because at the time our race wasn't graded. Mm -hmm. So after, well, I guess it was 2010, we got graded. And then from then on, we were always able to have a Summer Derby winner in the Kentucky Derby. How's my net bird doing right now in retirement, uh, Eric? I'm sure when a horse retires like that, a derby winner, it's got to be the greatest life that a horse could ever imagine, right? And he deserves it. I think he's a gelding, of course. So, you know, he 
he wasn't going to be bred, but he was owned by some great people uh, that uh, I know that that his home home base was going to be Roswell. I, I I do believe Dr. Block owned half of them along with Mark Allen. We were able to invite him out to some of the tracks that I worked for in the summer. He came out to Farmington one time at Sunray Park. They got about 5,000 people. He came to Albuquerque about six, seven years ago. We got 10,000 people. Wow. So he has a resounding, you know, street cred. And yes, he's got to be very, very happy and living the life he deserves. Does he come back for the race that now bears his name every season at Sunland? Used to, Steve. He used to lead the post parade, but I'm not sure about, you know, I don't think that he was there last, well, the last time we ran. Mm-hmm. When was the last time we ran? 2020? I don't remember him being in the post parade that year, Okay, but I do years back, years before. I got you. Eric Alwyn with us on Track Talk. He is our uh, voice of uh, Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino as we continue here on the program. Now, from just the standpoint of the quality of horses that will be coming into town for this race, how many would you say are right now being uh, trained in the state of New Mexico around the track for uh, the Minepper Derby? And how many imports are we going to get that will be arriving from California or, or other places? Well, there's eight in the race in total. And you want to know the amount of shippers we've got? Yes. Well... Half, four. So it's a nice composite of local power. You know, we had the Riley Allison Derby back in January. That was won by Pepper Spray and Bye Bye Bobby, the Todd Fincher million dollar horse, was second. And they were fairly well clear of everyone else. So they're the lead contingent of the locals. But some of these Santa Anita horses come into town and even Oakland horses and even a Kirk Robeson horse. Mm. You know, Kirk uh, got the Eclipse Award. Uh, last week with a horse called Jackie's Warrior. Kirk and Judy Robeson owned the fastest sprinter in the land called Jackie's Warrior, and they won the, the Eclipse Award, which is like a, a world champion divisional honor. So it was a, really quite a, quite a thing for the Robesons to, to win. They've been involved in racing so long here locally, now nationally. Nice to see one of our El Paso ones getting that kind of a, an honor. But the Robeson's own a horse that's coming in from Oakland Park called American Experiment. What's the background on this one? Well, he only ran third in the Del Mar Futurity grade one event. He won his debut at Saratoga. Steve, this is, you know, this is no phony baloney deal. They're, this horse has got a lot of power. Came within about a half a length of winning an allowance at Oakland. I was watching the race upstairs in the booth with, uh, with Felix Chavez, our honorary, uh, media giant here in town and i said felix you better maybe remember this one maybe he might come darn to pete if he isn't so that i like that one quite a bit and and that one's trained by steve s Musen, another hall of fame trainer mm-hmm. steve's also bringing a horse called classic moment who ran in a stakes race at oakland and remington he could be heard from jim rome's horse is called straight up g and this one's a california bred having pretty much only run against California breads in um, Southern California, which is no knock on him. Just he hasn't taken on open horses yet, but, but he has stakes experience, won a stakes race there, and it's going to be picking up Lasix for the first time. So a lot of things to, to really be encouraged about with that one. 
a big name trainer has him, Richard Baltus. A lot of our fans here that bet the simulcast love him. He's a big time trainer. Who's the other uh, invader? It's called Fowler Blue. Fowler Blue is trained by someone I'm not too familiar with in Luis Mendez, but I've asked around and uh, he's about a 20% uh, trainer in California. So pretty good. You know, I think this is a stronger mind that bird derby that, that we've had maybe in the last 10 years. When a horse picks up Lasix for the first time, like Straight Up G is doing, um, how do they usually respond to something like that in a big race? Is it kind of a, a toss-up, or does it usually benefit the horse? It's positive. Usually can help, help a, a speed horse hold his speed better so that there won't be those little microscopic uh, you know, bleeding in the lungs, which can happen if a horse exerts himself too, too strongly. Yeah. That's been basically the, the premise for why to use Lasix because it helps the horse. You don't want the horse to, you know, endure, you know, trauma during a race sure. and it keeps them from doing that. So when they're on it the first time, you could definitely see some improvement and, and the horse really doesn't need too much improvement. His figures are close to being at the top of this field. I think the horse with the best figure of all is Kirk Robeson's horse, American Experiment, got an 85 last time out. Uh, Jim Rome's horse, straight up G's highest buyer's been an 80. Okay, those are pretty pretty high figures. Our local horses, you know, that won the Riley Ellison, Pepper Spray, and Bye Bye Bobby, got a 67. Wow, huge difference. That's a big, big drop-off between the two, especially especially when you said that those two horses were the clear-cut uh, class of the Riley Allison, and yet we're still talking upper 70s versus 80s. Upper 60s, I should say. It, it, yeah. it, it could be the difference in maybe four or five lengths. You know, however, our locals do have one thing in their corner, home field edge. Exactly. That's what something, of course, you know, but... uh. What encourages me about this this year's Southern Derby is that we're having this influx of uh, of out of towners, even for the Minot Bird Derby. It's it's more, you know. Normally it wouldn't be fifty percent of the field. Maybe Steve Esmussen would bring one or two, but we wouldn't get these other commodities. Now, Eric, is eight horses the ideal field for a race like the Mind That Bird Derby? Or if, uh, you know, in a perfect scenario, do you go to 10 or 12? How would you how would you put it? Well, we would have liked to have 10, I guess, would be good. 12 can get a little jumbled. Mm-hmm. Um, we could handle it, though. You know, a mile, you know, a mile and a 16th, is a, the gate is a little further back. So you have a, a good run up to the first turn. That's really the only consideration that we would have for doing, you know, 12 horses. I don't think we can do 12 going a mile, but we can go on a mile 16th. And certainly we can do 12 in the Summon Derby, which is a mile and an eighth. What's the uh, largest, what's the largest field we've ever had for the Sunland Derby? Well, the, the, the max we can have is 12. Okay. Cause that's all we can fit into one gate. The Kentucky Derby. Twenty two gate, two gates, Steve. Yep, I know. A it. big gate that has, I think, fourteen, and then an auxiliary gate that can give you those extra six. But there's been some thought, you know, some debate about that. Is it dangerous? Mm-hmm. Is it too many? You know, it can be a real mess going into that first turn. 
Now, the winner of the Mind That Bird Derby automatically gets into the Sunland Derby. When we talk about the Sunland Derby later in the year, Eric, could we potentially see multiple horses from the Mind That Bird Derby race in the Sunland Derby? Definitely so. Could maybe see half his field, mm-hmm. you know? There'll be a recruitment push, of course, from our racing office, going out on the phones and finding out who's interested, finding out who's going to be uh, airlifted in that jet plane that comes in uh, to the airport, you know, that week, we'll find out who's uh, booked reservations for that. That's a clear indicator of who's coming. Uh, basically it's free to, in- it's free to nominate for the uh, Sunland Derby. Mm-hmm. So there's hundreds of horses that are, you know, potentials, but uh, you do have to pay a little bit to run and you have to pay a little bit to fly in. Mm-hmm. And um, that's going to be the big issue, but What's most important about the Sunland Derby isn't the big money. It's those 50 qualifying points that can get you into the Kentucky Derby. Eric Alwyn with us here on Track Talk from Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino as we continue. When will post time be for the MindNet Bird Derby this weekend? It'll be right around 4 o'clock. It says 3.59, but I would imagine, you know, we'll we'll hold them just a little bit. Uh, There'll be national attention. And, uh, you know, through everything, through all the – the little shortcomings I told you about last week, you know, we're, we're holding our own this season. I'm encouraged. And Dustin Dix and his, his staff have done a terrific job. Jerry Richards, our, our uh, racing secretary, has done very creative on how he's been able to put the pieces together for all these races because it's been hard. We were closed for two years. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that we, you know, that we're still rolling and, yep. and we're not down. Give me thoughts. Yep. Uh, we've done over a million dollars six times, Steve. Six times. Yeah. So that's another positive. Give me a preview on the weekend in racing. I know we've talked the whole segment about the Mind That Bird Derby, but what about some of the other signature races this weekend out at Sullivan Park Racetrack and Casino, Eric? That, that Sunday's going to be jam-packed, Steve, because uh, there's four stakes races, and Dustin has put those four together at the end, races six, seven, eight, and nine. We'll have what's called an all-stakes pick four, which which will challenge our betters to, you know, try to have all the winners of those stakes races, and it'll be broadcast all around the country. So that bet, although challenging and hard, could pay a ton mm. because there'll be a big pool. And the first leg will be the Albert and Henry Dominguez Memorial. I know that you interviewed Henry mm-hmm. many times. We lost Henry a couple of years ago. It was a terrible, terrible shame. He was such a such a heroic figure to all of us here at Sunland because all the great horses that he had, he trained a lot for, uh, for Kirk and Judy Robeson. Isn't he clever was one of his. So along with his uh, late brother, Albert, that's the stakes race. that will begin the, uh, that series of four races, like a horse called jet and G in that race. Uh, he just didn't break last time out and he didn't show much interest in the Jameson Memorial handicap that we had. But now that, He's going a mile and a 16th. Maybe that's what he wants. And that'll be the first stakes. That has a solid field. Uh, Bullgate's going to run in that one. Following that race will be the girl race, the preview to the Southern Oaks, the Island Fashion Stakes. And that looks to be a sequel to what we had in the Borderplex just a month ago, where Miss Hardnox defeated a horse called Tyler's Dream. And they were only a neck separated from each other and eight lengths clear of the third place horse. That looks like a wonderful race. The Red Heatman Mile will be race eight on Sunday. 
And I think Todd Fincher has a star in the making in that one. Diabolical Storm, a horse that was able to successfully extend his speed to six furlongs on out to a mile. Already has a mile under his belt. Only one by a nose. But uh, Todd trains that one in Diabolical Storm. Joel Marr has the horse that uh, almost defeated him in that allowance race. That's a horse called Jet Set Warrior. I'm looking forward to that one. And then the Mind That Bird Derby will happen. Who am I going to pick in that one? What a great race that Mind That Bird Derby is. Maybe American Experiment. Maybe. It's going to be a lot of fun. Got a little bit closer. Sunday's going to be amazing. That's for sure. Should Uh, be. Yep, live racing all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and obviously it all culminates on the big uh, quadruple header, as you just heard uh, Eric giving us that great yes. preview here on uh, Track Talk. And, uh, again, if you haven't been back to the track, this is the perfect weekend to get back out there and see live racing. Nice weather. Hopefully it won't be windy, and it'll give you a view of our biggest day, which will be, well, about a month away, right? That's March right. March 27th, the day of the Sunland Derby, so... We've had some great crowds lately. You know, they've been coming out, and uh, there might still be a touch of winter left, right, here in El Paso. You never know. But I think the temperatures for uh, next Sunday will be in the 60s, and that's perfect uh, for the horses. They they love that. Great job, as always, Eric. I appreciate you, the Jim. time. It's it's flown by, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, what will be a great race on Sunday, and hopefully Jim Rowe makes a trip to El Paso. Love to meet him. <laughs> I'll see you next week, pal. He's Eric Alwyn here on Track Talk from Sullivan Park Racetrack and Casino every Tuesday at 5 o'clock. Eric uh, and guests, come on and give us all the latest around uh, the racetrack. All right, we'll come back with plenty more sports talk. But first, let's go over to Charlie One and get this traffic update. Past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. All right, my thanks again to Track Talk and Eric Alwyn for joining us. Adrian, we've got some, uh, we've got some soccer royalty in our Lubingo studios right now, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, we do, Steve. We always hear his name uh, when, when when we were talking Loco Soccer last year, and I was so excited to talk to Leandro Carijo. This is a man I have been wanting to get uh, one-on-one for so long. We've got him here, and, uh, folks, I am excited to uh, welcome in uh, number nine uh, to the program. Leandro, great to have you here. Thank you for being here, and uh, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you, Steve. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Sorry about the don't come before, but now we're here. That's exactly. We've been trying to do this for a while, folks. We've been working on Leandro for months and months and months. By the way, um, I mean, we first, I first started uh, hearing about you back in your days with in Juarez with FC Juarez, and all you were do- doing was uh, scoring goal after goal after goal. And then, uh, how lucky are we? We get a chance to then have you come from FC Juarez uh, to the locomotive, and you get to spend two a couple of years in El Paso. Uh, what's it been like going from Juarez to uh, to, to El Paso, Texas? Uh, actually, uh, I have to say thanks for for the the honors, no? Because uh, I mean, FSC Juarez, my contract is finished, mm-hmm. and then, then I received the the mail the mail for for the the, the honors. Uh, you have a a meeting with Mark, and yep. then I, I meeting Mark about uh, with Zoom because in that time is the board is disclosed for for cross. And then I Mark interviewed me about in, in Zoom, and then I say no, it's good. I, I want you to play more. I want you to stay uh, active. In uh, that time, my my young boys have a one and a half year, 
And then I, I, I told him, Mark, Mark, I, I want to still play because I, 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 I want to show my, my young boy like uh, how I play soccer, no on videos. In, in, yeah, you in want him to life. see it in person. So when he gets older, he could say that he got to watch you play. That's, <laughs> yeah. exa- that's important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and when I scored my first goal in the, in the Locos, uh, actually I, I, I do two scores uh, against Tuslans. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I finish this game, uh, the games, the technical physics is, is coming say, yeah, you're the, you're a young boy, so that that's I I I make like I a little bit, I cry about that because when I tell me that that like a dream, you no, know, I I I come for my young boy, come and then saw me score a goals. That's what I dream I wanted, and then I realized my dream. That's awesome. And by the way, um, you know, for somebody like yourself, because you came from Brazil. You've been all over the world before you came to Mexico with FC Juarez. And then uh, coming here to El Paso with Locomotive, it means something as a dad, doesn't it? Because you know what your legacy's been like your whole career. You've been playing professionally as, as almost as, as long as you've been alive, right? Because, what, you're, you're 34, 35, half of your life. Yeah, has been spent playing professional soccer. Yeah, actually, I'm in this role about the 17 years because I started in the, and I have a 17. Mm-hmm. I started the, my my first games in the, in the professional soccer for I have a 17 years, and then I I, I cross a lot of countries. I go for the my 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 first countries. I go for Portugal, and then I I have to go back Brazil. Brazil, I go to uh, Hong Kong. Hong mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, I come from Mexico. Mexico, I come from. I come in the United States, and then I, I, I was, and I'm going for a lot of countries. How many languages do you speak? And now, I, I can speak in in Portuguese better. Okay. And English, uh, my English, I can communicate in English, and then in Spanish, I I, I do well. Your listen, your English is fine. I'm impressed. So, so Portuguese is your first. That's your that's your first language. Yeah, Portuguese is the first language in the home. We speak in in Portuguese in home. I'm my wife, my my daughter, uh, my young boy. We speak all the time in home. Is that Portuguese? What's tougher for you, learning English or learning Spanish after having Portuguese as your native language? Uh, I'm thinking it's in English because the Spanish is more similar to the Portuguese. Some words the same, but some words no, and the sounds the sounds change, but the words not. Yeah. And then it's the English is everything's change, but we we try to to do the better uh, day after day. All right, well, you, listen, you've done great so far, and I'm happy you're here with us in our studios talking uh, about your career. Um, by the way, so you're in your mid-30s right now. Is there a certain age where most people think, as a professional soccer player, eh, they're done. It's, it's time to retire and call it a career. Is, is there an age like that, or can guys that, that play at your level play into their late 30s and their early 40s? Look, Tom Brady... He's 45 years old, and he's still playing. He just retired as a quarterback, and he's saying, oh, I'll keep playing if I need to. You never know. And he's in his mid-40s. Yeah. Uh, and th- in this time, uh, you, you, we have so so many things for recovery, for, for still play. And then uh, I'm thinking that 35 today is that 30, 25, about that 10 years ago. 
And then it's, if you, you get a, a 10 years ago, say, oh, no, the soccer players or the all the athletes, the, the most players in 32, 30. Yeah. And, but now uh, you have support for the all the medical supports then help help you. Uh, actually, uh, I do the last season. I'm I'm feeling the better about the five years before the, my my career. I, really? I, yeah. So you feel better now than you did five years ago? Yeah, because the the mentally and then use your body for the better what you need. Sometimes you spend your energy with the things you don't know you don't need, and then when you focalize and you focus what you need. And what you need for improve yourself, I'm thinking you do it better. You do better. This is like a, for example, uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo still play in high level because he know what he need for playing in Premier League, and then he do what he have to do, and then actually the the level you play or the league you play, you have to be there. You have to do all the things you need for be there. And then when I come for the, the USL championship, I learn about the, the, the football, how they play, how they use the players, how the system. And then I have to study my body, my career, all, my, all the, my things I, ne- I need to do for improve, for play in this level. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is the, the life. You need to improve where you are for for more things you you need to do. You know I me? Mean? I understand. I do. Leandro, I wanted to ask you a question about your training process right now because I, I know you're not signed with the team right now, but what's a day-to-day training uh, day like with you and, and how you still stay in shape for this sport? Actually, I run our day in my <laughs> with my young boys, <laughs> two years old. He uh, keeps you in shape is what you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's the that's coming with my career. In the last season, I training all days there with the team, and then usually I train two times uh, in the afternoon with my friends. Is come is is a physical tra- uh, physical coach in Brazil. Actually, he's play before. Is the always retired, and then I I told him, look, I need to improve some things in my in my board. And then say, what do you need? You say, I need that. I need this. And say, okay, we can plan. We can make a plan for you. And then maybe in one month, one month and a half, you on the level what you have mm-hmm. to do. Okay. And then I uh, we study my body shape, and then we study everything we need for improve. And then we we start the program. And, and then I, I'm feeling when we start this program. I'm feeling no, it's still so tired. But after the one week and two week, the body's the different uh, exercise we yep. do, and then I I I feel good after the programs finish or after the 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 first step the programs finish because the next step is just more uh, stay on the. And the in the this level, we know makes sense. It makes sense. Leandro Cadillo with us in our Lubingo studios as we continue talking here on Sports Talk. So, um, you come to USL, you spend really two seasons in USL Championship. Um, what was the biggest 
difference for you, the biggest change from the way the game is played here versus what you've been used to throughout your career, especially in Mexico with FC Juarez? When I come here and then I saw the systems that the Marks play, and the first month I maybe I'm strange about the, 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 the system and then after that is the I, I have to learn uh, I speak with the guys the team the, the guys the team is help me a lot because he's he's, he's, uh, he's telling me look he's played that and then you do that is the better for you after that I when I get the the, the, the system I can I, I'm feeling well Mm-hmm. I'm free. Like uh, uh, the first, the first month, and maybe I'm like uh, I'm maybe I'm not in. I, maybe you're like not in the rhythm. Stock, like yeah. a, uh, I can play like this system, but when the guys they give me the confidence, the the coach give me the confidence, I have to play, 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 and then feel more better. And then like a, a river, you no, know, you go away for the the true. And last year was was a terrific year for you because you scored. You had great. Yet you always seem to have, and I don't know if this has been like this your entire career. You tell me. You have a flair for the dramatic. When you score, it's usually a huge goal right when the team needs it, and you just energize. You, you come through, and you and you just give that that burst of energy to the club. It seemed like last year, especially for you, a lot of your goals were big goals when the game was on the line or you were on the verge of maybe not getting a point, then you score and you end up salvaging a point or you salvage a win. Uh, is that the way it's been going for you throughout your whole career? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, have, I'm thinking in my mind that they scores coming when they need. And then all the times I score, I'm thinking it's, the scores coming because the team need, and all the scores that I do is the last season. I think is the the score for for the team is the very important score, very important goals, mm-hmm. and and then I never give up. Doesn't matter if I play five minutes. Doesn't matter if I play ten minutes. I never give up, and I I I do some things before they start the game. I visualize goals. I visualize scores. Maybe I have to five opportunities on the, the in the field, and then this is five opportunities. I visualize one. If I visualize one before this happen, and then when happen, I can score. That's the all the time I do before and then all into my career. You know I me. Mean? It's an interesting game because it sounds to me like mentally is a big part of your is a big part of your preparation in your game because you're mentally preparing by visualizing that you're scoring and then when you get in the game all of a sudden you could be in that same situation and since you've already been thinking about it before maybe it comes easier to you like that yeah yeah uh, um like uh, five years ago I studied about the mi- mentally and then the mentally is a more important thing you have for improve yourself because it doesn't matter if you have a good shape good body good physical but if your mind no comprehend or uh, no go with the body yeah doesn't matter what's happened there's no work and then you have to clean mentally and then your because the football the soccer or the other athletic and if you if you notice that we training one week the more important thing 
on the, the soccer or the other or the others uh, sports is about what you training in a week because mm-hmm. the game is coming for enjoy. If do if you do great job in, in the week, you do great job in the in the game. So you believe you play like you practice. If you practice strong, you're going to play strong. But if you don't take practice seriously enough, or you don't practice strong, it could hurt you when the game when the game is being played. Yes, all right. Okay. That's how I, I believe it. I love you it. have to you have to train more the the play or because the game is the very important. But if you know training for the game, the the it's not help to you. Makes sense. All right. When we come back, we're going to keep things going with uh, Leandro uh, here with us in our Lubingo studios. If you've got a question, you want to talk to the all-time career goal scorer uh, for FC Juarez and uh, a man that always seemed to come up with the big, big goals for uh, El Paso Locomotive FC, you can call us right now, 880-5763, as we uh, head to the break. We'll come back, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, Leandro Carrillo with us uh, as we continue here on the program Again, if you'd like to get in, a lot of ways to do it. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, on the phones at 880-5763. That's our telephone number. So um, for you, when you look back at everything so far, was there one particular highlight of your career, both in, in Juarez and, and uh, with Locomotive, that kind of stood out as maybe your, your favorite moments? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and in Juarez, uh, that moment uh, I think is there for all the 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 fans. And Juarez, when I scored the third goal on the final against the Atlantic, that's the moment uh, when I, I I never forget this time, this moment because the third goals stack close that that that, that game, no. Yeah. And then if you ask me, because the we we arrive in the city of. Uh, Five months ago, and then after the five months, we uh, be a champion, and then that th- that's that good good moment for my life for sure. my career. And the locals, I uh, I think is the better moment for when I scored the first goals in the quarter final, and then playoff, the first goal in th- that game I, I scored two times, and that that moment's day special for me because. Uh, before I come from El Paso, uh, I, I told the Mark, Mark, I, I, I just have a, a new boy in my home, and then he's have a one and a half years. I, I, I want to play for the so me uh, in the pitch in the field, and and then that moment I, I scored a goal uh, is the more important for me for because he's there, and then in that time maybe he saw and then he didn't understand. Now he's understand more. Yeah, but that that. Two moments in my life in this borderline, can I can believe it? I I never forget this this time. And the goal celebrations are fun too, aren't they? Because you, I could tell when you score, you get pumped up. The celebration is part of the fun, and it seems like you just you just get the crowd fired up as well with you when you whenever you're uh, whenever you got one in. Uh, How do you explain that? Because I can tell you've got a, you have like a signature uh, celebration. You get pumped up, you start raising your fists, you get excited, and then the crowd goes crazy. No, that that that's moment. I'm thinking that score is the bar more important moment than in in, in the, the soccer, no. Mm-hmm. And then you still have to enjoy this moment because you know that for uh, some people, so the football outside a few, he thinks that so. 
uh, so easy play football, play soccer. Yeah. But inside the field, it's very difficult for play soccer. The fair, more difficult for score a goal, and then you have to enjoy this time. You have to enjoy this moment. I agree with you. Uh, by the way, uh, El Paso soccer fans, how do you? Uh, wh- what do you think of them? That's nah, good. Good. It's uh, it's got good fans that uh, support us all the the the, the time. The all the game is they support us. Uh, we do a good good game, or we don't play well, and uh, they they stay there. He yeah. stay support us like a, like like a, like a fans in Juarez. The fans in Juarez, I never saw that angry. Or every time we have a bad season, they come and in conversation, hey, what happened? If you need more. Uh, more support we can we can do for 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 yeah. for the team and then you, that 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 borderline for about the fans is amazing. They're loyal, is what it is. They're loyal yeah. fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now your son's what? Two years old, two and a half. Yeah, two years. Two years. Okay, so you got to keep playing, right? Because now that he's two, uh, he, you're gonna you're gonna want to keep playing in front of him. So as long as you can play, so he can keep <laughs> growing up and watching you play a professional soccer, right? Yeah, yeah. Now he's understand. Like uh, if I score a goal, sometimes I put in the uh, football on the TV, and that is just it's not no one 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 word. It's goal. And they kick the ball, and then we have a, a new. Uh, a mini bar in the in the, in the home, yeah. and then you know he scored a goal, a goal, 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 and then is that for the football? They have one, they have one, one word, just goal. He saw the football, he said goal, and then I saw them. Ah, you got you have, maybe you are good forward. <laughs> By the way, as far as the uh, current club goes for um El pa- for El Paso Locomotive FC, there's a couple of players on that team that are obviously standouts. Um, last couple of years, uh, Dylan Mares has been one of the better uh, better forces on the midfield. And then, of course, tell me what your thoughts are about uh, the young phenom because obviously, when you look at uh, this team, Diego Luna is like name that just stands out because of what he's been able to do at such a very young age. Does he remind you a little bit of yourself at that age when you broke in? Yeah, I, I so when it, when it, when Diego was coming, uh, I saw me when I started the the, the 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 football no because I started in the seventeen, and then my my my, my first contract uh, for the professional team is I have seventeen. Then is this coming? We we saw the all the time is I play football and then you learn that when I saw one good player and then uh, Diego is coming is coming for trial or for souls show some things and then you saw the 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 kids uh, that these kids have futures these kids has good he's have good uh, skills he's have uh power for shooting for fi- uh, for finishing mm-hmm. just have to still like uh, he do the last season still work and make an improvement and then he's go long time he's go long for he's have a, a good career with this if he him uh, and how you say that for uh, if it if the uh, the I don't mental know. aspect of it a little bit is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's how. Yeah, if the, but that'll come with that'll just come with experience, right? The old you know he plays more experience, gets more experience. The mental aspect comes with that as well. Yeah, it's the yeah yeah if it, because it's then have some guys then team can mm-hmm. help him about that for. Hey, you can improve more if you do that. If you if you do this, and then the the team, 
the teamwork is good for him. Now, when you're not uh, when you're not playing football, what else do you enjoy watching sports wise? What uh, what else do you like to uh, to watch on TV? Ah, I still start watching uh, soccer. And that time is that Champions League, no? Champions League is yeah, it? Yeah, I saw so many so many games for the Champions League because the high level in the football and the soccer. What about basketball, baseball? Um, you foot, professional American football? Do you watch that as well? Yeah. And that, that, that sports, that's one I don't understand, but I like the baseball. I don't understand nothing, but I like the style. Because in Brazil, you have uh, some games, a street game, that like uh, baseball, but yeah. the different style, but it's me, remember my, my kidneys, no? And then we play. Yeah. But who, who's your favorite Champions League team? Who do you like? The team? Yeah. Uh, now I, I between the Real Madrid and PSG. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I I the uh, I like so the 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 Ancelotti, the, the coach. How's it like the play? And then I saw some the the Real Madrid when it was championship about in the the Champions League. I saw many many things that that they, they do on this team. He's improved some guys and then like his play. And then now, the, the the different styles and I, I love it, uh, the 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 Champions League because you you get a, a team for Spain, you get a team for England, mm-hmm. and then uh, one time one time is one one partner say me he's there from Manchester, he say you know the Veron Veron's the the skin guy the Argentine skin guy, and Premier League is can play like his play on Champions League. Because you you can see the two styled games, different games yeah. from the different countries, and then if you saw different system and the football, and then you appreciate for the the so this time, no? Makes a lot of sense. I get it. Now listen, this hour has flown by. Um, we want you back, so plan on coming back with us. We'll do this again, um, and I hope you get a chance to play soon. I mean, I'm hoping you get the call and you get to keep things going, and we get to follow you. I want you back in El Paso with Locomotive, but. <laughs> Uh, I just hope we get to see you back on the pitch soon enough because you're a lot of fun to watch. You're, you're great to talk to, and I'm just happy you're here today. No, I'm good. Thank you for the for the invitation, and I hope you'll come again. We have a good time here. Come back and see me again, all right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Leandro Carillo, folks, uh, joining us here in our Lubingo studios. We'll come back. Hour number three next. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of hour number three here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Expecting uh, a couple of uh, gentlemen joining us here momentarily. Chris Hanna and uh, Greg Sestero, who is from the movie The Room. And uh, one of the cult classics. So they'll be in uh, this hour to talk about El Paso Media Fest happening this week at uh, Alamo Draft House. Excited about that, Adrian. That's going to be a lot of fun as well as... You know, we're looking forward to, uh, and we just, apparently they just got here. So let's see if we can get uh, Chris and Greg in, and uh, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about uh, El Paso Media Fest here uh, coming up in our final hour of the show. Our thanks to uh, Leandro Carillo, who joined us. And by the way, great message that came in a little while ago from Alexander in Horizon City. Need to read this because I thought it was terrific, and, I, and I'm sorry, Alexander, that I didn't see this till after Leo left. But what he said was, Hello, Leo. It's been a privilege watching you play in both FC Juarez and the Locomotive for many years. The Borderland will remember you for many years to come. You are a legend in football in the Borderland. 
What goal sticks out to you as your favorite? And, of course, he talked about some of those, the big one when he first arrived at FC and and uh, really what that meant. And then, of course, the emotional scoring uh, goals for Locomotive and, and having his um, his young son having a chance to be there to see it and uh, how it was one of the great moments of Leo's career. Alexander, terrific stuff. Thank you for getting in on the program via the app and uh, passing that information along. And don't worry, we will be getting um, Leo back with us on the show for another go-round. That is for sure. Had a lot of fun with him. Terrific guy. And again, when you think about vets in this business, 17 years playing professionally, Brazil, Hong Kong, uh, Mexico, Juarez, um, El Paso, what he's done as a career is amazing. So... Truly one of the great goal scorers we've had over the years uh, in this uh, in this community. And that is uh, phenomenal when you start to think about it. So, again, as we begin our uh, final hour of the show, hey, it's always nice to have some old friends uh, stop in and see us. And that would be this man, Chris Hanna, who uh, we know from uh, it, the, uh, well, let's go back about five, six years now when he first had the documentary on Tony Romo, Now or Never. And he has brought friends with him. In fact, um, I know that one friend in particular is here with us, and that is uh, Greg Sestero getting ready for uh, a big week in El Paso. First off, gentlemen, welcome back. Chris, good to see you. Greg, welcome for the first time. How are you guys doing so far? I'm doing well. It's an honor to be here. I'm a huge sports fan, and I'm a huge El Paso fan, and of course, a big El Paso Media Fest fan. So I'm really great, really great to be here and looking forward to this. Good to have you here, uh, Greg. What about you, Chris? Always great to be here, Steve. Thank you for having us and uh, promoting Greg Sestero's coming to our El Paso Media Fest and a couple other awesome films that we're going to be showing, showcasing this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be fun. Uh, Greg, you said you're a big sports fan. Who do you root for? What uh, what teams? So I'm from the Bay, so I, I tend to root for the 49ers and the Golden State Warriors, but I'm open. I love, you know, I just love watching the game. So playoff time is, is I root for, I root for every team. You came close to having a team going to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, they put up a good run. They were great uh, against the Rams the last day of the year. Down seventeen zip, came back, and I had a feeling they were going to come in and upset the Cowboys, which Chris wasn't really happy about. But that's I just get that feeling. Last day, last day of the season, teams usually show up and, and mm-hmm. take over. So the Bengals really surprised me. But I really think starting opening day for the 49ers, I think they're going to have a very special quarterback, number 12. Oh, you do? Uh, you think Brady's coming out of retirement to uh, to quarterback? Or is it going to be Aaron Rodgers? Which Bay Area native is going to resurface in San Francisco? I think when football season starts, week one, Tom Brady's going to be starting for the San Francisco 49ers. Bold prediction. That is bold. Now, by the way, listen, Greg, Greg, if that's the case, why retire? Why even announce in the first place unless he just wanted to get out of that contract with Tampa so he didn't have to worry about the sticky situation of trying to go and, uh, and, and play in Frisco? I think, uh, I think he retired early. That was the sign to, to start a new path that gives, gives teams time to, to make plans. And I mm-hmm. think Garoppolo could very well go to Tampa, mm. make the switch there. And I think he goes to San Fran. I think he plays one or two years, and I think he gets one more Super Bowl. I mean, if, if they had the right quarterback going in yep. um, this season, I think they would have beat the Rams. I, I, agree with, I agree with that. I mean. And but by the way, Jimmy G, let's give him credit because considering how banged up he was and really kind of how limited he is, I mean, he doesn't have the skill set of Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or uh, now, uh, you know, you're looking at what we saw with Joe Burrow uh, in Cincinnati or even Matt Stafford. Um, you know, he took him that close to trying to, to, to go back to the big one. Yeah, I mean, no, he gets in there. And I mean, in the Super Bowl, they're for fourth quarter against Kansas City a couple years ago. I think a couple throws, they would have won that. So I think he's. Obviously, right there. I think just 
you need a couple more steps, one throw here or there that to get you all the way. And I think um, I think he's great. I just think with with Brady, I think they would they would be the team to beat. Chris, how did you hook up with Greg for the first time and then end up uh, getting him here for El Paso Media Fest? Well, I've always uh, attended to the Alamo screenings of the room. Mm -hmm. So one of those days I met Greg Sestero. We had some mutual friends. And I told him all about Paso Media Fest. And, you know, I shared with him uh, the directed film that I was able to get made with Tony Romo. And, uh, you know, I found out that he was actually a big football fan because in the room, you know, they show a lot of football scenes there, and then I find out that it was because of Greg Sestero that football is featured in in the room. So yeah. that was really awesome. And we just got to talk about our fantasy teams. And, I mean, he didn't say this right now, but I think he's very uh, much a Cowboys fan because he was kind of rooting for them the entire time until he sent me that that score that day, which broke my heart. But, you know, I forgave him already, so we're very excited to have him out here. And, you know, we just uh, we have some plans to hopefully film – uh, you know, he'll tell you, but hopefully film something uh, that's very deep to his heart here in the El Paso area, plus El Paso Media Fest, and he's going to be showcasing his new film here, so we're very excited. I'm happy about that. That's going to be a lot of fun, right, Greg? Yeah, no, I can't wait. We're going to be at the Alamo Draft House, which I love. I know El Paso has really embraced it, but we're going to be at the Alamo Draft House, East El Paso, uh, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be showing my new film that I made. It's about a cult that I filmed in Arizona right before the pandemic. It's based on a true story about a cult out there that believed they could be, bring people back from the dead based on their blood type. And there was this preacher who believed this, the cult. Now, I, I drove out there and I went out to this church and I, it was really bizarre. Like you pull up to it and it's like you're in an old Western. You can feel the wind rustling your shirt. You, you're just, you're out there. You know something weird's going on. There are a couple mm -hmm. trailers there. These two dudes walk up to me, and they're like, what are you doing here? This is private property. I said, I just saw this huge church that was hollow on the inside. Like, what's the deal with it? He told me the story, and then he said, do you want to join? We're going to come back stronger than ever. They had no idea, like, I was making a movie or researching. Wow. So I went back and started just writing this script, and I did a bunch of research, and uh, I love cults. And so we went out, and we made it. It's called Miracle Valley, and it's uh, kind of 70s horror vibe, The Hills nice. Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So... Um, I really enjoyed filming there, and then the next thing I'm doing is I'm, I got obsessed with UFOs when I was living out there. So I wrote a UFO abduction script that I'm hoping to film in El Paso and within this region. I've also been out to Marfa, which was a lot of fun. So I, I played a uh, baseball tournament in Marfa last October and spent a little time in the Marfa, um, I guess, Alpine area. And it was funny because we wanted to see the Marfa lights. And unfortunately, when we were there, we tried, but you know, you can't see it every single night. Sometimes you're better than others. So, but uh, it's that's an interesting area in itself, um, especially where it's located and just kind of how open it is. When you go to that Marfa Lights viewing area, there's nothing there, so you get a, just a gorgeous view of the sky at night. Yeah, we went out there in 2018. We went to the Marfa Film Festival with a few buddies, and we went out to see the Marfa Lights. Mm -hmm. We were out there. We didn't see anything, but uh, we got followed by some interesting characters. Tried to break into our hotel room, but they broke into the wrong one. Uh, anyway, but I was like I, <laughs> I always wanted to go back uh, and check that out. I just think it's the, the skies there are beautiful. It's yeah. just got a really cool vibe, and they've made some great movies there. By the way, uh, where in Arizona was that uh, you know, cult or the church located? It was right near Bisbee, Sierra Vista. I don't know if you've ever been to Bisbee. It's a really cool mining town. Mm -hmm. It's become a really great art scene, great restaurants, and. We got invited. We filmed in the old streets there. We got invited to, like, this huge party in this old house, and it was packed with people. Great music, great art. I was like, this town and built in the mountains is all of a sudden becoming a thing. That's wild. So ultimately it led to a film, 
And uh, and now you got another one that you want to work right off of that. So that sounds like that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, hey, man, UFO abduction—that's uh, right up my alley. When you talk about uh, good ones, and I'm I'm excited about a, a story like that because. You know, this area, you go far enough out and you're in the remote areas where there's nothing really around you. You, you, you really kind of wonder if you're uh, if you're alone or if there's other people out there with you. Yeah, no, I first got intrigued. I saw a movie called Fire in the Sky as a mm-hmm. kid, and it always fascinated me. I even took a road trip out to the Carlsbad Caverns and Roswell. Um, and I just love, you know, thinking what's out there. And there's tons of, gr- you know, tons of great stories, tons of great documentaries. And so... I've just, for the past year and a half, I've delved into that world, and I wrote a script, and I even interviewed the real guy who was Travis Walton, who was abducted in that story, who wrote the book, who the movie was based on, and we had a really interesting conversation, and um, he told me how they're like, he thinks they're still tracking him or something like that. So, were you were you pretty convinced and sold on him after after talking to him? I mean, there's yeah, definitely something weird happened there. I don't yeah. know. It's one of those things where... The more I've, you know, I've listened to hours of podcasts and theories and talks, it's like, we don't really know what's out there. And I think, you know, there's days where I believe, there's days where I question. And I think when we really do find out what's out there, it's going to blow our minds. It's going to be something totally different than what we're expecting. I mean, we're alive to see that. That would be kind of nice, right? Oh, yeah, of course. All right, Chris, we got a lot more to talk about with you and Greg. I want to talk about the fest, what's going to be coming up, how people can get involved. And uh, let's really uh, dive deep into this when we come back, all right? Sounds good. All right. Well, I want to know what you're up to, Chris. I mean, you know, I know about Now or Never and the documentary series. I want to know what, what's, what you've been doing for the last year and a half since you last joined us. Yeah. Um, we, you know, been working on the Media Fest uh, since uh, 2020. So we've been <laughs> watching films, programming everything, uh, getting celebrities ready. Got to meet Greg and got him to be, a, uh, you know, a part of this Media Festival. Uh I also, you know, finished up uh, different things with the NFL that had to be involved. Uh, the pandemic kind of showcased a lot of things that we didn't, you know, weren't really prepared for that sure. we had to look into. But thankfully, right now, we're very excited to actually be screening Now or Never at uh, 2022 Paso Media Fest, uh, 5 p.m. on Friday, this Friday at the Alamo East El Paso. It'll actually be the last screening before distribution. Uh, really, you know, I'm able to talk a little bit about it, but we did get approved and we're looking to hopefully be, you know, getting this film out there on the Players TV network, which is kind of a growing network, athlete-owned. So nice. everything is kind of still getting worked on, but we're very excited for that. I'm excited to have that. All right, we'll come back more with Chris, more with Greg, and we'll keep things moving here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go to Charlie One and get this traffic update. Charlie, how are we doing? All right, back here on Sports Talk as we continue 22 past the hour. Greg's uh, continuing his um, uh, theory on uh, the 49ers getting Tom Brady, number 12. By the way, Adrian, do you, do you think it's going to happen? I like this. I like this theory. I thought about it um, You know, when he initially retired. I was like, that seems like a goodbye to Tampa Bay versus yeah. an actual retirement right there. Yeah, that's why he didn't mention the Buck, or that's why he didn't mention the Patriots because it was just him leave thanking the Bucks for for two years. Yeah, and he had already lost a lot of the different players, Antonio Brown's fiasco, and yeah. you know a bunch of other players that are leaving. So, hey, kind of. He also kinda, said, "Never yeah. say never" about coming back. He left it open there, left he the did. whole thing open. So, but then why even say I want to be around my family? Why even why even use the old family excuse if if you're really just trying? Because he he wants to be around his family for the next three months. Which which right? Which, <laughs> <laughs> which is he normally going? It, it's not a lie. Yeah. you know. He'll be like, "All right, I was around. I've, I've, I've had enough of them. Now it's time to." get back and start playing football again yeah there's no way you'd leave that opportunity the Niners literally have like a rookie quarterback who's gonna start they're a quarterback away from 
winning convincingly winning the Super Bowl. He's from the Bay, just like I was. He was yeah, the first game I remember watching was the catch. Yep. He was there. So when you grow up a diehard Niner fan with Steve Young, Joe Montana, you know, to go back and play for that team, they haven't won a Super Bowl since 1995. I mean, that would be pretty incredible to go back and win. If number 12 doesn't go, that number 12, could you see Aaron Rodgers, a 49er? No, I think, I think Rodgers, surprisingly, is going to stay with the Pack. Okay. I think Rodgers is going to go with Denver. I think that's my Denver. Prediction. So you think he's out of he, today? He did an interview with Pat McAfee and said that uh, he hasn't decided what he's going to do right now with his career. I think Denver has just a solid team to win, and I think he likes the the challenge to go against Patrick Mahomes twice a year, and he wants to prove that he's still the MVP. You, you know, know why? I mean, Denver's no better weather wise than Green Bay. If you're going to leave the Packers and leave that team, which is built to win right now, why not go someplace? Either go back home, which would be the Bay Area, or go go to Tampa, where you know you could take over that team and, and have a Super Bowl esque team, and the weather's better in Florida. I mean, doesn't that make the most? But then again. Aaron Rodgers is a little weird, isn't he, Greg? Yeah, he's um, a little different. A little different, yeah. I mean, you know, us Northern Cal. I'm from Northern California too. We, uh, you know, think a little outside the box, mm-hmm. but I think he stays there. I think they're going to make a big push. And um, I, you know, beginning of the year, I thought for sure it was the last, the last year. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you think San Francisco more beat them or the Packers choked in that game? Oh, the, the Packers special teams was horrible in that game. Look at what they did. They missed. Uh, I mean, you had the um, you had the missed. Was it? It was a missed extra point or missed field goal? Yeah, missed field goal. Mason missed field crossbar. goal. Right, and then you also had the the punt of uh, the disaster. I mean, there was a there was a lot of problems. Right, the blocked punt. But the, so, yeah, that that was the game. But the Packers going on the field, opening drive, score easily, and then never score again. You got you got to make play though. Remember what happened there, right? They were moving the ball right up and down the field, and then all of a sudden, um, there was a fumble because uh, it was the tight end that fumbled the ball. That uh, was. Um, I I can't, I can't remember the pack, the Packers tight end. Yeah, right? the veteran tight end yeah, who's been around forever. He fumbles he fumbles the ball away, and that was and their and their offensive momentum went right down the toilet Tanyan, as soon as right? he, no, it wasn't Tanya. It okay. was the other one. So, uh, but that was that that changed the momentum of the game because they score right down the field. They were going up again, and then they gave the ball to to um, to San Francisco, and they, they the offense just stalled after that. Yeah, they just didn't. I didn't just didn't see any passion. That's one of the things I love about watching Brett Favre play. He was running down the field. He might have thrown crazy interceptions, but things were always happening, and he really cared. Uh, but speaking of Texas football, I was a huge Cowboy fan in the in the mid '90s mm. when they traded away Montana. I went. I started rooting for Cowboys. Loved Emmitt Smith. Loved Deion Sanders. Yep. It's just crazy that those two teams, Niners and Cowboys, have not won. Since the mid nineties, yeah, well, and that, I was thinking of Mercedes Lewis. That was the player uh, who fumbled the football. Oh, got it. So yeah, yeah, and the Niners—they've been the closest than the Cowboys have. I mean, that's another story. I don't think we have another hour to talk about the Cowboys because that is, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, please, <laughs> that yeah. is, yeah, a different story right now. Uh, point is, Super Bowl was fun. It was an entertaining football game. Bengals are probably going to be back there. I, I mean, I don't see any reason why they won't. They, they're not a one. That crushed team. me. That crushed me. That that Super Bowl, the Bengals were going to win. I. I called the both right scores and both teams on the championship games. Uh, Send those scores to Greg. He was shocked. You did. He got both picks right and the exact score right. You should have gone to Vegas. I should have gone to Vegas. Yes, but the I Paso I, Media Fest could be global if you would have parlayed that into I the right. I choked. I choked. I wasn't yeah. right on the page. I was about to submit the money and I couldn't do it, Steve. Oh man, that's that's right. But you know what? Adrian's a big Rams fan and he won, so he's excited yes. about that. I'm happy for you, Adrian. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you should be. I mean, he hasn't had a championship in what twenty years? 
since yeah. the St. Louis Rams. That's right, yeah, since uh, 2000, so it's been a while. Hey, hey, Greg, real quick, I wanted to ask you, where does Jimmy G go? Because they, Adam Schefter said the day of the Super Bowl that they're looking to move on from him um, you know, in a, within a month, so that's kind of aligns itself with the draft. So where do you think he goes? I think um, if I'm going to pick, I think he either goes to Tampa or he goes to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, huh? That's okay, my prediction, too. I think he goes to Pittsburgh. I could see that. I could. I mean, the Steelers are a no-drama team. They like someone that's, you know, very poised, someone that just kind of, you know, gives that offense a little bit of flair, and he just does that. I mean, they have great receivers. They have a great running back. They have yep. a good defense. I think Jimmy G fits with Pittsburgh. They're a no-drama type team, and he, he just fits perfectly. I think the Niners need to get Antonio Brown. <laughs> that's that's just what they're missing. That is just what they're exactly missing. Exactly what they're missing. Oh my god! Would you do you think Dak can can win in Dallas? Oh man. Um, I just think right now the Cowboy they they you know they if they were if they got by the Niners I think they could have caused some trouble. I think they got better this year. I really think they need a coach like Sean Payton. I think they need a more creative. I agree with offense. that. I agree. Um, I think that they have the talent, they can be explosive, but I think they get stagnant, and, they, and that's why they, you know. They, will, they, will they ever win another Super Bowl as long as Jerry's owning the team? Yes. That was a fast answer. Man, it's been how many years? I still believe. I 25? Yes, but I think Jerry has kind of morphed into making the decisions that he needs to make in order for the Cowboys to win, and not just being a Cowboys fan, but I think... He really believed McCarthy could be that coach. I mean, he won with Aaron Rodgers. I was I like McCarthy coming in, but after these two years, just seeing that time clock management and the way that he's you know kind of been coaching on the sidelines and Sean Payton all of a sudden yeah. is available. I think Jerry will show everyone that he'll he'll make the right call and bring in Sean Payton to Dallas. And so one more year of McCarthy, and then that's the end of that. And once he's done, bring in Sean, and you're good to go. Yeah, after Sean Payton gets his golfing and his fishing in, I think he'll come to Dallas. Think Sean wants to work under Jerry? I think he has respect for Jerry from what I've seen. I think he just loves the Cowboys so much you could see it. And I think he knows that they have a team to win it. I I I think Dak is not the problem and you got me started here, but yeah. I think we gotta look into the running back position right now. That's all I say. I love Zeke Elliott, but I think we gotta we gotta dive deep into that. I think that's a little bit of an issue right now. And then also we gotta get some more debt on receivers because if some of them get COVID, you know, we got no debt, so we gotta get that going. Would you ever like to do a documentary, a real deep dive into the Cowboys last twenty five years? I think that'd be a fascinating documentary. It, I, I would watch that, wouldn't you, Greg? I'd be interested. Oh, in that. I'd love that. I mean, I think the, the the trio there with Irvin, one of my favorite players, you know. Emmett Smith, Dion, those guys just cared, and I think you have yep. you know you had Jimmy Johnson coming in, super smart coach, getting the not not just getting star players, getting that offensive line, defensive line, linebackers. I think as soon as his tree stopped and and he fell out with Jerry, you started to see the fallout, and then they just mm-hmm. kind of never quite got back to that dominance. I agree. Troikman's going to join us a week from today. Actually, we've got him on the show. No, oh, that's I, awesome. I, we haven't mentioned that at all, have we, AJ? Yeah, we haven't. We've casually talking just slipped that beer. in right now that uh, we're going to get him on. Yeah, Ta- talking some beer with Troy Aikman. That's the right. Best, he's got a new, the best he's got a announcer. New beer. The best announcer. I mean, who would have thought of that group? Right, of all like the Steve Youngs and all those players that Troy Aikman True. now, twenty five years later, would be the best announcer on TV. And never. Never would have thought it. Do you like him better than Romo? Uh, I do. Yeah, I think. Aik- well, I like the combination of Aikman. Um, I mean, they're different, but I, I've just I like love Aikman and Buck. I love the way Aikman comes in and talks about plays. I always feel like he's just super smart. I mean, I, he was one of my favorite players, yeah. but I just think his temperament's really good. He's called. He's great at calling Super Bowls. He called that Giants Patriots Super Bowl in two thousand. 
and eight, and he just had such great insight and kind of has good predictions, but doesn't like pick players, you know, over other players. I never thought we would be so into sports in this conversation. This has been fun. I'm enjoying this right now, guys. It's been good. You know, we got we got to talk about El Paso Media Fest. That's why you're here, which we'll do. <laughs> but uh, you know, between you, Chris, and Greg, we got we got a lot of sports conversation going. This is a sports radio show. That's kind of how the relationship started. You know, it was I like, like it. Just Greg, fantasy, you hosted yeah. a sports show before in your career. Is that is this a new one? No, I've I've, I've been the biggest. ESPN fan. I used to watch Sports Center not twice, but like three times on Sunday night. So nice. Just been a huge sports fan since I've been like six years old. So. Good for you. Well, you come to the right place. That's for sure. We're going to continue more with uh, Chris, more with Greg. We'll talk more about El Paso Media Fest, and uh, yeah, we'll keep talking some sports. But first, let's go to Adrian and get one last bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We've got Chris Hanna here. Daniel Valdez is here as well. Chris, uh, Greg Sisteros. We got the whole group. Don't worry, Daniel. We'll give you a chance. You're going to talk. Look, Daniel's the festival founder for crying out loud. We've let him just sit off to the side like he's a chopped liver. So don't worry, Daniel. We'll give you a microphone. Let you say a few words. I appreciate it. I'm just I'm I'm updating the social media just to make sure that we get that on the air. So thank All you, right. Steve. Uh, that's good. Dan- Daniel, first off, um, tell me something. As somebody who founded this along with Chris years ago, you happy where El Paso Media Fest has come, especially having to navigate through COVID and everything else? I couldn't be happier where we're at right now because where we were two years ago, I mean, it was a good place to be at, but then to have to go through COVID, to have a year where we didn't even have a festival, to where everything was up in the air, and to get over 260 films submitted, to have Huge. Greg be on the lineup, and to be hosting it at Alamo Drafthouse, you could, if you would have told me that in... In 2020, I would have said, yeah, yeah, whatever, you're, you're, you're joking with me. But to have it where it's at today, I couldn't be any happier. What is better for you, the opportunity to see how far along El Paso Media Fest has come or listening to the sports conversation that these two have been gracing us with on the airwaves for the last 30 minutes? I might have to say both, but I do like the, the commentary that Greg has had in, re- in regards to his sports prediction today on 2-22-22. Yes. Um, I'm going to put some money on that. I don't even know why Chris never even said I mean, him and I had a, score, had a bet going on on the game. I had the Bengals too. But my prediction was what, was what the Simpsons had had. When they showed it on their on their episodes, so my score was thirty four thirty. So that's what I was going for, based off the Simpsons prediction. So you know, him and I had a, had a had a dollar bet going on. It was very high stakes, you know, as those those bets tend to go. But um, you know, I'm glad he got his score. But you know, he he never pulled the trigger on the on the sports bet. I told him. I know, I know. And by the way, Greg, I ask you, I ask you one question on the room, and that's it. One question, nothing else. And you've been asked this question, I'm sure, a million times. I'm going to ask you anyway. When you were filming that movie years ago. Did you have any idea in your wildest dreams that that film then, when you were filming, would turn into what it's become years later? Assuming somebody's asked you that question, which I'm sure they have over the years. I mean, just imagine, let's say, like you have, (laughs) you got an older buddy who wants to be an NFL quarterback. And you're like, I'm going to support him even though there's like zero chance in hell he will ever get there. So you support your buddy. You're there. You're you're reco- you know you're you're catching passes. You're doing all that. Sure. And you think there's no way it's going to happen. Like this is a waste of time. Move on with you. as soon as it's done. You 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 were a friend. You helped him. You move on. Imagine then he ends up like playing in the Super Bowl. Like it's that far out to how this the room would have gone anywhere. You know, I read the script. We were roommates at one point, um, which was insane. I read the script and I thought it was every character spoke like him. So I just laughed. I'm like, hey, you know, good for you. You finished something. And then he wanted to make it. And I was I didn't want to be in it. Uh, The big thing was I'll help you make it. 
but I won't be in it. And then the night before we're, we're gonna about to film, there's another actor already cast in my role. He goes, you know, if you don't do this project, it will be biggest mistake of your life. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And uh, one of the big things that we talked about was like he wanted to do these like ins- ridiculous sex scenes where the guys are like it's like these 70s, you know, it's like softcore kind of thing. I'm like, sure. I'll never do that. And then he's like, OK, we make exception. You you keep your pants on during scene. And I'm like, OK, now he's like really pushing. And then he's like, how about this? Last thing we get you a new car. So I'm like 24. I got this like car that keeps breaking down. I'm working like a part time retail job trying to go out on these auditions. And I'm like, something came over me like, you know what? I'm going to be there all day anyway. Why not just do it? Nobody will ever see it. So we go into the first day of filming with somebody else already in the part and him having to tell the crew, hey, Greg's coming in. He's just going to try a couple scenes for practice. And we're going to plan to shoot the entire movie with two actors. And we were shooting on two cameras at the same time, film and HD, which had never been done before for good reason. Mm-hmm. So he, he was going to film HD on the other guy, delete it, because you can do that, and then shoot film on me, which is expensive. And then uh, we'll shoot the whole movie that way. And then the first day, the other Mark found out that it was like a ruse and the whole thing blew up. And it was like that was the first day of filming the room. So I didn't even think the movie would get finished when we were making it. Because I was showing up. I was sort of the translator. I'd go to people and be like, this is what he wants to do. And they're like, he's five hours late every day. I was like, I know. So I was trying to kind of negotiate with everybody. We went through like three or four crews. They just like were like, we're done. We can't do this anymore. So this movie took like months to film. Like that that drug deal scene on the rooftop where he comes out for no reason. It's like just this crazy scene. It took three weeks to film. That's one how scene. long it, yeah. the Chris R. drug scene, rooftop scene. Yeah, one scene like, was three weeks. Oh, that scene. Yeah. Just just, yeah. just that scene. Like, nothing happens in it. It doesn't really do anything for the plot. <laughs> that took as long to make the new movie Miracle Valley that we shot in Arizona. Three weeks. Um, so it was a movie I never thought anybody would ever see, and here we are 20 years later. But I'm so happy that I, you know, used my football passion. I tried to teach Tommy how to throw a spiral, and he got really into that. So in every scene, we're, like, holding a football, playing football, because he's like, that's what guys do. So I'm glad... Uh, and in that tuxedo, when I threw a little, like, sidearm, I was trying to do a little Brett Favre action in there. Um, but uh, I'm just glad football made it into Because I get to sign footballs now. People come to these screenings, and wow. I'm signing footballs, which was always a dream. So you've actually used one of your loves, which is football, and, and incorporated that into a film that never would have had any op- – first off, you weren't even supposed to be in it in the first place, and that was not even part of the script. And you've all, it just goes to show you that's part of, I guess, the mystique of this particular film, right? How it just defied every kind of law of, of of sense or anything else that would ever even make play ever even make sense. It just shouldn't even have been done. It was done, and now it's become what it is, which is uh, one of the uh, one of the all time greats. Yeah, and it just it was so funny when we were when they made the Disaster Artist. Um, for those of you who don't know, I wrote a book about my experience called The Disaster Artist, and then they made that into a film starring uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen. And it was just so funny being on set, watching them play with the football. Like Greg, Dave Franco played Greg, always carrying the football around. I just shook my head. And I was like, this is such a bizarre, like off-center dream come true. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty crazy. 
I just want to say that, you know, growing up and watching The Room and reading The Disaster Artist, I mean, even before I met Greg and I got to tell him about the Tony Romo film, it was really inspiring. If you haven't read the book, The Disaster Artist, I, I recommend you watch, you read the book first before you watch the film because it just offers a whole new perspective on what it means to make a film with no budget and making it happen from the beginning. And, and that kind of reminded me of what I got started you know, with Tony Romo, we just had not a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of cameras. We didn't have a lot of people, and we just made it happen. We had this dream and made it happen, and that was all within the disaster artist. So it's really amazing to have met the man himself who's next to me right now. That's right. And if you haven't read it, you know, I think it'll inspire you that you got to make it happen some way or another. Will the books be available at El Paso Media Fest? We, uh, yeah, we should have some copies for sale. Good. Yeah. Okay, and obviously you'll sign them if somebody comes over and gets it. Of that's, course, that's... and even better if you bring a football. You know what I do when I sign a football? I make them go out for a pass. Oh, do you? So yeah. you throw? Oh, what do you? Lefty or righty? A righty, yeah. All right, yeah. Very nice. We already opened up the space for that, so we have plenty we have, of field we have room. for. Will yeah. this be at both? Um, will this also be at both Alamos, the uh, the Monticello one, and the East Side, or just the Far East? For El Paso Media Fest, it's just gonna be at the Alamo East. Far East, okay. That makes a lot of sense. But you just had the Sunday showing in Monticello last Sunday, right? Yeah, it was the first Alamo that I came to a few years back, so it's always fun to go back there. And then I went to the East one last fall, actually, on, it was like September 12th. It was opening day of, of football. So while the screening was going on, I was watching okay. watching football. But it's a great, both are great locations. Greg, I hear you're good friends with Buzz Adams. Yeah, I've, Buzz, I've met Buzz quite a few times and uh, been on his show, and he's, he's great. He hosted one of the screenings back there, and he couldn't believe one of the things he loved is that people bring, you know, the props and get them signed. And I just saw the, the look on his face was funny when he was watching the film. So, you, ever, yeah. you ever stayed at his house? Not yet, but... Um, you probably will. It usually happens. Everybody somehow finds a way to become a guest at Buzz's house. It's big enough. You'll be fine. That sounds fun. Yeah, there you go. That'll be good. All right, we will come back, wrap things up as we continue here on Sports Talk. Stay with us. It's 600 ESPN El Paso.